Welcome to PointCast, where we talk to people who are active voters about how they see the world around them and who they want to run it. Today, we are talking to Ross Quick. Yes, that is his real name. We will get his take on current events and who he thinks should be elected to address them. Thank you, Mr. Quick, for joining us today on PointCast. I'm really glad that you were able to make it out. And may I call you Ross? Would that be okay? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Ross, if you don't mind, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Ross, obviously. Uh, I'm 28. Uh, I am originally from Indiana, a Hoosier, born and bred. Um, I grew up in Fort Wayne and then... I uh, went to college in a small Christian school out on the East Coast um, in Massachusetts. And then I came back here um, for a graduate school, and now I work in Indianapolis. And um, yeah. 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 That's me. I have a dog, and he's adorable. What's your dog's name? Uh, Basil. He's Basil. a beagle. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. That's he's nice. Not too smart, but he's cute. So, <laughs> well, that cute counts. Cute yeah. counts for something. That's right. <laughs> now, do you consider yourself an active voter? I do. You yeah. do? Okay. All right. Have you voted? Did you vote in this last midterm election? I did vote in the last midterm election. Okay. Yeah. What was on your heart as you were going to the polls? What, what was your goal? Um, really, my goal was just to see as many Democrats as possible get elected mm-hmm. um, into, and I should say, into federal and state uh, elected positions. I wasn't as concerned with local elections this time around, but mostly I feel like maybe I was just trying to combat what I see as uh, irresponsible politics on the part of the Trump administration. Mm, and, real, wow. okay. and not necessarily that I agreed with every person that I voted for, mm-hmm. but I felt it was important just to get more people in the Democratic Party to just block certain things that, you know. Now, do you consider yourself, do you consider yourself a Democrat? I do, yeah. Okay. And when you say irresponsible politics, what, when you say that, what comes to your mind? What does that mean to you? (sighs) To me, uh, I don't think Trump, and I don't mean to turn everything into the Trump show, but I don't think that uh, the White House or the current administration really thinks too deeply about the way that their policies are going to affect real people. Mm -hmm. I think that they say and do things just to encourage their grassroots supporters and to prepare votes for the next election so that they can stay in power. I really feel like that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't trust that they actually care about the people that could be affected by the things they say and do. Right. So currently with this partial government shutdown, is this, how does this resonate with you? How does this hit you? Yeah, you know, I am conflicted currently about the shutdown. Um, so my cousin is in the Coast Guard and he's he's been actually in the Coast Guard for about 20 years almost, or maybe a little over 20 years, somewhere around that. Um, and he's uh, currently one of those people who's considered an essential employee and has to work but can't get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, to do that because the Coast Guard is a division of the Department of Homeland Security. Mm. And um, so he and his family are not collecting any paychecks or any money um, during the shutdown. And, uh, you know, I obviously feel for him, but I'm conflicted because I also feel like the shutdown is symbolic and in a way... 
Uh, I support the shutdown because it prevents Trump from getting what he wants, which is the border wall. And while I don't like the idea of everyday Americans going without pay just because they happen to be non-essential federal employees, Mm -hmm. I also don't want to see the wall become a reality. Now, why is that? How do you feel about just national security in general? Not just a wall, but what's your take? The, The wall is supposed to be for protection for Americans, for people coming into the country. Um, for nefarious reasons, mm-hmm. right? Not just for people who want to immigrate legally. At least that is the narrative. So do you support that narrative? Do you understand that narrative to be true to you? How do you feel about that? I think that uh, I obviously don't have all the answers about national security, but I do hear things about, you know, um, more uh, people on the terror watch list being caught in airports and at the border. And, um, you know, it's not as if we have no border security. Right. And you're right. Statistics do prove that we do catch more people going through airport before they even board airplanes. Yeah. So yeah. That, that part of our national security plan is, is working. Yeah. Right. And I do think um, this is 2019 now. I mean, we have technology that we couldn't have dreamed of when the border between the United States and Mexico was established or reestablished after, you know, some Mexican-American war or whatever. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, we have things like drones and we have things like, uh, I don't know, just like video cameras. So why do do you think that that talk is not as prevalent? Why is the emphasis on this physical structure? When I think of wall, I think of the Great Wall of China. Yeah. what is this, why is this talk about the wall so important as opposed to some of the other solutions that you're proposing? I, I think the wall is really just a symbol for people to show, I, I hate to be so flippant about it, but their racism, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like the wall is nothing but just show mm-hmm. for people who are prejudiced against brown people mm-hmm. who are Latin American, mm-hmm. and it's their way of preventing them from coming into the United States. And even though it's not necessarily going to prevent brown people from coming into the United States, mm-hmm. because Mexican people and people of other Latin American countries will still come in as you know seasonal workers mm-hmm. or you know on work visas mm-hmm. or you know for vacation or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's just people want to rally behind the wall and say say that they support border security, but what they really mean is that they want to protect their racial identity. So is this kind of an example of that irresponsible politics that you were talking about earlier? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, Would you, with this next election coming around in 2020, is there anything that the current administration could do on this particular issue to win you over? <laughs> um, well, sure. I mean, anybody could do anything to win me over uh, in terms of, you know, they could totally reverse their whole policy and look more critically at real solutions to border security. Mm-hmm. Um, real solutions as some... as 
far as some of the other options that you listed with drones yeah. and cameras? Okay. I mean, even, you know, and when did border security turn into violence against people crossing the border? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big part of the discussion I feel like people are not talking about. Mm-hmm. When we have criminals in the society, and, you know, it's not just about the border. I mean, this is a whole thing with, you know, criminals in general. Mm-hmm. Why is it that we point the guns first and then shoot and then hopefully they're alive to ask questions later? I, it just seems like there's a whole lot of violence. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if we're going to, mm-hmm. if we are right. concerned about national security, why does it just have to go there automatically? You know, if you're going to try to climb over the wall and we're going to shoot you down or something, you know, that right, d- just right, seems, right, right. I don't know. But you hit on top. something um, uh, that I was interested in, and that's basically gun violence. And uh, I don't know if you're aware or not, but gun violence has increased significantly in this country and, uh, and among industrialized nations. We are the highest. Uh, we have on average 100 Americans being killed every single day. Um, the National Rifle Association states and continues to restate that more lives are being saved with guns. And, and then you have communities and local governments and state governments across the country that are trying to institute various programs to stem the tide of gun violence. Is this something that you have been concerned about in the past? Um, honestly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I come from a family that's mixed on the issue because mm-hmm. uh, a number of my family members are avid hunters. Mm-hmm. My like nuclear family was never really into guns or hunting. Mm-hmm. But um, but the weird thing is they seem to, uh, I don't know, make their views about hunting equal to like the lives lost through mm, gun violence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as if their right to you know shoot a deer or whatever to provide food th- for their family is in any way the same as a person being gunned down on the street mm-hmm. due to gun violence mm-hmm. um, some of which is legally sanctioned which is insane to me <laughs> um, but um, when you say legally sanctioned what specifically are you referring to uh, well you know uh, police shootings mm-hmm. um, I guess, I mean, that really covers it. Mm-hmm, uh, you know, mm-hmm. law enforcement using lethal violence mm-hmm. against people. And and you mentioned something earlier, but you were referring to national security. You were saying the guns come out first, we point, we shoot, and we hope that people, we hope that people live so that they can tell us what happened from yeah. their perspective. Do we? I mean, what what is that? <laughs> do, do we hope that they live? Uh, I, I'm sure some people don't. Um, and I actually have thought about it a lot. I mean, there is um, one of the constitutional amendments in the Bill of Rights guarantees a person's right to a trial by jury. And I don't, a jury of their peers, you know, I don't remember which one it is. But it seems to me that if they have done something wrong, we should be doing everything in our power to be able to get them alive and mm-hmm. sane mm-hmm. to a court of law where they can be judged fairly. So by that definition, technically, or maybe actually, every person who has been killed in a police action shooting who has not uh, been heard before a jury of their peers actually dies innocently because they have not been convicted. Yes. Okay, that's that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a strong perspective, right, and right. I think a lot of people would disagree with me about that mm-hmm. because I do care about police safety. I'm not trying to 
say that, you know, police lives don't matter or something like that. <laughs> but I don't understand why, you know, police are some of the most protected individuals in the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some of the people that die at the hands of the police are some of the least protected individuals in the country. So I, I don't know why the narrative is always on the side of the police who commit crimes and are never... Do you think there's racism in pol- policing? I do. Really? I think there's... Well, the thing about racism, as most people... Well, maybe not most, I don't know. As many people are aware, is that it's you know a systemic you know, institutionalized form of prejudice. So mm-hmm. it's not just in policing. It would be naive to think that it's not everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's in policing. Mm-hmm. Do mm-hmm. I think that, you know, 95% of the police are racist? No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you encounter an officer of the law as a person of color or uh, me, I'm a gay man, so it's not always obvious, but sometimes it's obvious and um, you never know what that if it's going to be the five percent you know that mm -hmm. is you know prejudiced or if it's going to be someone who's going to treat you fairly Mm -hmm. and that can heighten your fear in a Mm -hmm. situation like that and it can um, can make you do things that you might not otherwise do or make you do make you run make you run to protect your own life Mm -hmm. you know i mean on the one hand, we have, you know, all of this police training, but they don't ever get down to the basics of fight or flight. I mean, if you're terrified and you try to fight or run, I mean, that's biological on some level. Right, I mean, that's right. not always, it's not always like a person, a policeman or a suspected suspect or mm-hmm. you know, whoever is necessarily either of them thinking logically. And yet we give these people guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'm, I'm well, not maybe I'm sure that much can be done there. And, and that's going to require a lot of discussion on a deeper level. Um, one of the things that this leads to is uh, the fact that Indiana does not. Um, well, we, we talked about you, you mentioned that you are gay and we talked about racism and policing. But the other side of that is people dealing with crimes from other people that might be considered hate crimes. Yeah. Um, Indiana does not have it's one of five states that does not have any hate crime legislation. Uh, the, the current uh, thought is that our laws, our existing laws are sufficient enough and that those states that do have hate crimes legislation, it's really just a rubber stamp. It really doesn't do anything. You know, that it's really nothing that anyone can make a sound judgment with. Um, what are your thoughts when you think about Indiana? Maybe you travel outside of the state uh, and you go to other states that maybe do have those laws. What are your thoughts about Indiana not having uh, hate crimes legislation? You know, my thought on hate crime legislation is that it's necessary, not just for, um, you know, you had mentioned in the lead in that, uh, you know, it helps people find legal avenues, you know, more legal avenues against potential perpetrators. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really important because I read something once about how without hate crime legislation, we can't even really document um, a lot of the ways that crimes are committed against people mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's just recorded as 
a murder or an assault or, uh, you know, breaking and entering or, you know, whatever, you know, right. some sort of infraction against another person. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't even have the statistics to gather about who's being targeted, why they're being targeted, um, if there's reason to believe that certain groups are going to be targeted mm-hmm. more frequently, mm-hmm. then how can you protect those people? Right. So without having the statistics that have blatant, uh, that record blatant crimes mm-hmm. or such as having a swastika yeah. painted on a religious organization's building or having uh, wor- certain words defacing personal property or public property without those sorts of things um, occurring or being recorded with other crimes, you're saying we can't really truly document. Mm-hmm. And, and that being the case, some people believe that hate crimes are really low. Right. Because we don't relative to other states, uh, some to some people, our numbers look very low. So you're saying they look so low because we're not really recording. I'm saying who knows if they are low. Let's get some real data about that, because the way I see it, we just have to what sift through police reports to find the notes about it. But nobody's really keeping a firm tally. Mm -hmm. And as we've already said about, you know, racism in the police structure, who's to say that a given police officer's report mm-hmm. is 100% accurate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about all of the factors that are involved? Now, have you ever been in a situation personally where you felt that you were the victim or potential victim of a hate crime? Um, no, okay. I have not. Mm-hmm. So this is something that you just feel from maybe others around you or in your community? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so my best friend, actually, um, Brandon, mm-hmm. he's he's actually gay and he's black. Mm-hmm. And he has had several, and, you know, these are his stories, so I'm not going to say, but uh, he's had several experiences that leave me fearful for him, mm-hmm. just li- living his everyday life. Mm-hmm. And those are things I can't ever experience. But... Um, the fact that, you know, there is a person out there means that there are more people out there. And it would be irresponsible of me to just dismiss that or ignore it, you know, and not consider that in my wider like worldview. So I, one of the things that I mentioned in the lead in was uh, there was a lot of fallout over the R. Kelly documentary. I personally did not see it. It's nothing that I want to see. But the, I haven't seen it either. The fallout is basically that there have been some accusers uh, some of whom are now adults or had been adults that had some interaction with him that uh, made them feel that they were violated, particularly sexually. And it has also come out that he may have married another performer when she was just 15 years old, which is shocking to me because I have a 15-year-old daughter and they are not ready for anything <laughs> called marriage. Well, what's really shocking about this is that we have this small protected part of our immigration law that allows American men to basically import uh, other 15-year-olds or 13-year-olds or child brides basically into the country. And it's totally legal. So if R. Kelly had just imported (laughs) these women, he would have operated within the confines of the law. With all of this talk going around, do you have any notion or opinion about any of this? Does it hit you or your family at all? I think it's incredibly ironic that there is a loophole that allows American men 
to bring in underage women to marry. Wow. (laughs) Mexican and Guatemalan and Latin American (laughs) asylum seekers can't even cross the border as a family to (laughs) claim asylum. Without their children being taken from them. But if your child wants to get married. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. If they want to get married. We, we, one of the things that I, I, I think that many people are hoping that would be addressed by a comprehensive immigration policy is that loopholes like this would actually be closed. I don't know uh, exactly when this all started, uh, but this is not a new Mm-hmm. Occurrence. It's just that people are taking notice of it because within the last year, 10 years, it's increased dramatically. It went from just a couple of hundred to now thousands, right? So outside of the Russian bride joke, children are now being documented as being exploited in this country. And the uh, what is it, sex trade is alive and rampant, partially and probably in, due to uh, this type of loophole. So... On one hand, where, you know, people who totally dislike what R. Kelly may have done or what have you, and I'm, I'm in that camp, um, this other side also, I think, needs to be addressed. Don't you think? Or what are your thoughts? Uh, I totally agree. I mean, uh, so this is one of those things that um, is probably because because I am a man, this is one of those things I've probably never had to think about so much Mm -hmm. because this Mm -hmm. is actually the first time that I've ever heard that this was a loophole in the immigration system. Mm -hmm. And uh, because nobody is trying to import me to marry (laughs) when I was, you know, 15, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I've never had to consider until now. But um, it's honestly, I mean, just like, like disgusting in yeah. a way. Right, I mean, right. <laughs> it, it just leaves one without like, what, how do you poss- How could you possibly respond to? Yeah, exactly. To something like that. I, I, and and what's the solution moving forward? I mean, it seems like it would be so simple. Mm-hmm. You know, can Congress not just close this loophole? I mean, my question what is, is the, what is the real reason right, for it, you know such a policy? Right, right. So once you get your thirteen-year-old bride here. If she then is uh, raped or molested by a 25-year-old here, then how does that work? Is she still protected under the immigration policy with the one? Or it's just very, it's very sordid and uh, troublesome. Yeah, you know. And because we haven't taken sexual abuse of children seriously, is where I think this probably all came about. Things like this have been allowed to allowed to fester. Um, in any of our policies. Um, so hopefully this will be addressed soon. What are some of the other issues before we leave our show that are important to you as you think about how you might be voting come 2020? You know, that's it's almost kind of a tough question mm-hmm. because um, while I have a lot of thoughts about how I'm going to vote in 2020, mm-hmm. I feel like so much of the the conversation has just been dominated by what's the most ridiculous thing that a person in our government can do mm-hmm. and then on all on all sides right know, right what is essentially the most ridiculous thing a person can do and then they go ahead and do it and mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to how to form a lot of opinions mm-hmm. about what my top issues are mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah I'm concerned that 
about the economy. You know, mm-hmm. I'm concerned that we are further institutionalizing racist and prejudiced policies into our government structure. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that we don't care about sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And when people come forward and accuse others of sexual assault, we don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Or seemingly, we don't care, mm-hmm. you know? But um, with the upcoming 2020 presidential election, you have a long list of Democrats starting to line up. Uh, and you also have our current uh, President Trump, who will be trying to keep his office. Uh, without relating to either of the parties or any of those personalities, what would be the profile of a president that would most appeal to you? To me, uh, in, in real terms, um, I'm looking for somebody who's progressive. Um, and by progressive, I mean uh, cares about a person's personal economic situation, how to get them access to affordable health care and education, um, a person that cares about the way we interact with other nations, um, a person that cares about diversity. Mm-hmm. And that's not just some like flippant throwaway thing, but I just don't believe we can form a truly representative government without having representatives in our government that look and think and act like the people of the country. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think we need more voices and you have to have a person that cares to include those voices in their discussion. That's just what I think. A lot of inclusivity in yeah. your statement. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ross, for coming and talking to us on Pointcast. I appreciate you sharing uh, your views, and I look forward to you going out to the polls in 2020 and voting from whomever you choose, but just exercising that right to vote. And um, please encourage all of your friends to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. <laughs>